Hi, my name is Lucia Cavallaro. Um, you're here listening to me. I thought I'd try something a little bit different with my emails to you um, and introduce a new series um, with regards to a number of characters and purpose behind the ideas of what I have written. Um, the interesting part about what I do is the research. I love researching and I like to put as much as I can into my books. Um, and I find that gives them a little bit more credence to the story that I'm writing because um, I like to base it on some facts that have occurred in the past. Um, and even though some of the characters may be fictional, um, there is a real history behind the events that have occurred. Um, and part of the series that I'm going to present to you is um, femme fatales in not only in literature but also in um, reality. And so basically, just to start off, what is a femme fatale? Well, it, the term was actually coined back in 1880. Um, it's a combination of French and Latin words. French, uh, femme, meaning woman, and fatale, Latin, which is actually the literal translation means decreed by fate. Basically, it's a woman who uses her seductive wiles to lead men into a dangerous situation or predicament. So I thought I'd just start with that and I've also looked at what a scapegoat is um, and I looked up all the different dictionaries and they all basically say the same sort of thing. It's basically a person who is blamed for someone else's actions. Um, but the interesting thing, it is a very old phrase. In fact, it goes back to the Bible when Aaron yeah, presents two goats, one for God and the other as a scapegoat, and uh, literally a goat. Um, and this second goat was used to atone for the sins of the people as an offering to God. Um, and in the process, it cleansed Israel for a year. Um, and if you want to know a little bit more, you can find the passage in Leviticus 16, 8, 10. Um, the reason this is really important to me, because I'm all for equal rights, uh, for both genders and races and despite the sexual revolution um, we have gone backwards well that's my opinion anyway someone else may disagree with that um, just recently here in Australia this is like only two weeks ago we have a new health minister and it's a woman um, you think that's great yeah I do too being in a leadership role but um, with our borders opening on the 4th of Feb um, and with the new Omicron virus running rampant and we've had a number of cases here, um, why appoint another woman to the role? Uh, when COVID started out here in 2020, we did have a female health minister um, who stood up and was right at the forefront of when this was all occurring. And then when things settled down, she was replaced by um, a male. And this male's been in this role since for the last couple of years. And now that it's changing and it's getting a bit more heated, we have a female in charge. I'm just saying. Um, another situation is the CEO of the Australian Post Office was vilified in the press because she gifted her staff 
with a watch. Yet if a man did that, yeah, that wouldn't be a problem. So this led me to sort of realise that things are not, hasn't, haven't changed. Um, women since the dawn of time were scorned um, and regarded as ball busters if they showed strength or scaled through the ranks to CEO. Um, throughout history, uh, there are examples of women condemned for supposed actions. And in literature, we have Helen of Sparta and Delilah. Um, we have Nefertiti, Cleopatra, Joan of Arc, Matahari, and Marilyn, just to name a few. They're, they're just being vilified. And the question one needs to ask is why? They're all famous, whether they by chance or by their actions. Is it to do with the male ego? Um, they, do they feel their strength of character has been compromised or do they feel threatened by that? And I thought we'd look at two characters. Um, well, one being a literary character, if you want to go down that path. I have other thoughts on this. And a, a real, real person. Um, so I thought we'd have a look at Helen of Sparta and Manohari. Both have intriguing mythologies because of their mystique and their sexuality. Each was condemned for their perceived actions and behaviour. Helen, who supposedly had an affair with a foreign prince that precipitated a war, and Marahari, who was an exotic dancer and regarded as a double agent during World War One. I have a table which you will see in the email to just compare the two women. Um, let's start with Helen of Sparta. Um, depending on the mythology you read, Helen was to blame for the Trojan War, the deaths of men who fought, and the demise of the uh, entire civilization, the Trojans. Uh, this was a burden she carried until she died. The question remains, did she have an affair or was she raped and kidnapped? According to a few ancient sources, and I have found these, there was a possibility she did not meet Paris and did not go to Troy. However, regardless of the evidence, um, sorry, regardless, evidence um, has shown that there was a war at the site of Troy um, and there was lots of arrowheads and shards and there's been also scorch marks on the city's infamous walls and buildings that which show total destruction. Um, Helen's beauty runs throughout Homer's Iliad and in you know, Euripides' play, Trojan Women, and from other ancient sources. She compelled women to behave contrary to the norm, so goes the um, literature, um, and she was both revered and reviled for her beauty. During the Bronze Age and in war, women were a commodity taken by force by triumphant warriors and held as concubines, especially if they were young, or sold on the slave market. So they were the older women that were tended to be in the slave market or used as slaves in the household. In my story, The Curse of Troy, I wanted to present an alternative point of view um, on the events leading to the Trojan War. And I took a snippet out of um, Herodotus' histories where she actually doesn't go to um, Troy. We will never know the truth because everyone that was involved died. Um, but this is why I love the research because I find little tidbits of information that extends the possibility that certain things did not happen and more of that will come out in future podcasts and it makes reading really much more interesting and fascinating. I read Bettany Hughes' Helen of Troy and um, which is an exceptional um, and detailed resource 
worthwhile reading if you're interested in learning more about Helen and women in ancient Greece. Um, and if Bethany Hughes wrote about Helen, then there's going to be some sort of truth behind the stories. Uh, moving on to Matahari. From an early age, she showed a flair for flamboyance, um, telling friends about a fictional illustrious ancestry and living in a castle. Uh, she was popular and bright, gifted with learning languages, and it was recommended that she become a kindergarten teacher. Well, that didn't last very long. Um, Maria had a, an affair with the owner of the training school and then was condemned for her actions. It, uh, it seems like the owner was completely blameless in the whole thing. Um, she then left the school, but her name was sullied as a result from that affair. She did marry at, at 18. The marriage didn't last very long um, because her husband, who was like twice, three times her age, was extremely jealous. Um, men desired her and though she never had affairs, her, her husband was abusive. Um, she, they did have two children. The son had died. So she left, she filed for divorce um, after five years. She left for Paris to become an actor and a dancer. Um, she changed her name to Merhari, which is Malay, which means Eye of Dawn, and she was an overnight success. Uh, she was one of the few dancers who would strip almost to nothing, and there are pictures of her pretty much showing pretty much nothing. As she got older, she uh, her life as a courtesan began. She had many lovers, including military officers. It's alleged that this was why, when she became a spy, for the first for the Germans and then for the French. Both intelligence groups used her to filter misinformation about the other. Then the French arrested her for being a German agent, which she denied, even when she had to face this firing squad. Um, to this day, there is no evidence to suggest she was a spy. It's only speculation. What these two women had in common was betrayal, not through their own machinations, but how people actually perceived them. Envious individuals who spread rumours to allay their own insecurities and damaging reputations. Both women, renowned for their beauty and inequality, um, compelled men to behave in a particular way that created havoc, in the case of Helen, a war. So these were these women scapegoats by circumstance or were they femme fatales? Um, were they used as pawns in an ultimate scrupulous plan? Um, I'd love to hear from you. I, I honestly think if you have any ideas on it, please let me know. And I look forward to seeing your, reading your emails.